0: The following episode was recorded live on YouTube for adulting.tv live. Welcome to Adulting, the podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at adulting.tv. Welcome to adulting. I'm Harlan. I'm here with Miranda and our guest today is Todd Tresseter. How are you doing, Todd?
1: Doing good. Good. I, I got through the hassles of getting on. That's a good thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're starting a little bit late today. It's always uh, it's always fun dealing with uh, Google Hangouts when we're broadcasting. But hey, it's live. It's fun. It, it's what happens and you do what you do. So we're, we're just here and happy you're here. All right. Thanks for having me. Sure. So i um, Tell us a little bit about Financial Mentor first. I want to talk a little bit about, I want to hear a little bit about your site.
1: Uh, Well, Financial Mentor is a little different than most personal finance blogs in that it's uh, what I call advanced retirement planning and advanced investment strategy. So it's next step once you've been through the frugality blogs and you've learned the basics of investing and things like
0: that. So it's more advanced material. Okay, great. I think we're going to touch on some of that advanced material, but it's probably going to be in a little bit di- different direction. Uh, I really like the idea of talking about setting goals um, that make sense for our our younger, um, you know, in the, those those of our, the the part of our audience that's in their twenties and thirties think a lot of us are really struggling setting goals that make sense for our financial future and then getting on that path. It just seems really hard to get started.
1: Yeah. I I mean, if you're not clear what you want out of life and if you're not clear what you stand for, I think the real issue is clarity, right? It's really easy to be vague about it. It's really easy to say, hey, do I want lifestyle? Do I want to be spending? Do I want to acquire the nice car, the cool clothes, have the hot dates? Do I want to save the money and work towards financial independence. These are decisions you have to make, you know, and it requires clarity about what you're going to do with your life. And you know, from my perspective, it's like life looks really short, you know I mean, I'm gray, you know, you can see the gray and everything.
0: once you get
1: here, yeah, once you get here, it's like, wow, how did that happen? It was so quick. <laughs> you know, and it's, it comes as a total shock and, and like behind this gray is a really young guy. I mean, I still don't, I don't, I look in the mirror and I'm shocked. So, <laughs> you know, you, you got to kind of look at it and go, yeah, I mean, it's a cliche, but this journey is a lot shorter than we ever think when we're in our twenties or thirties, we think we're bulletproof and it's going to go on forever. And uh, so you've got to kind of look at it and and think long term. Um, it's the contrast between short-term and long-term thinking that I think causes problems. Like, You know, you can blow it off, you can blow off your financial planning and your wealth building for a day, a week, month, two months, doesn't matter, right? But when you start accumulating those days into weeks and weeks into months and months into years, it starts having a material impact.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think I think one of the things we discount a lot of the time is the opportunity cost that involves uh, the time and and, and figuring out and, and we always say oh we're gonna have time to do that later and I can I could do that another day or there's plenty of time ahead what you were saying and I know that looking now and looking back on things um, and you know I don't have the gray yet but I'm getting pretty close I'm, I'm waiting <laughs> any day now it's I'm gonna have that gray hair appear and I just and I I, you know, I kind of look back and I'm like, well, um, you know, there, there are things that I wish I had done differently. Um, for the most part, I'm pretty happy with the way my life is going right now. But a lot of that has to do with what you were talking about. About uh, six or seven years ago, I sat down and said, okay, what matters to me? And where is that, that clarity, right? What you were talking about and what matters to me and what do I want things to look like? And then what do I have to change about what I'm doing in order to get there?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so going back to what you were saying about short term and long term thinking, I think a lot of young people are focused on the short term because there's a lot of urgent issues that they're dealing with, whether it's trying to find a job or trying to find a better job, trying to make the money that they're making last through the week or the pay period so that they can actually live and afford to afford to eat and afford to live where they're living. Um, trying to figure out who they are in, in their relationships. All these things seem a lot more urgent and need to be dealt with right away. So how do you break away from that, dealing with all of the urgent needs that you have and f- giving yourself some space to focus on the long-term thinking? You know, what do I want out of life? And then how do I get there? How do you make that switch?
1: I don't see it as an either or or having to do a switch. You know, that's part of, I mean, you're dealing with a little bit of a freak of nature here, you know, in talking with me and that that's always been kind of my bent. Like I've always had that engineering mind that puts two and two together and does the planning and sees how the puzzle pieces fit together. That's part of why I found so much pleasure in being a coach for so long is I love working with people. And so it's really fun for me to go and work with other people and they go off and do the work right? I just do all the planning and all the, the clever creation. They do the hard work of living their lives and, and actually creating it based on those plans. Um, so I'm probably not the best answer for that question, to be totally frank, because um, it was never an issue for me. And then the coaching clients that come to me, they want that. And so I'm not running into that issue that much. So I'm sorry, I'm not delivering a better answer on how to come up with that.
0: No, I think that's uh, I think that's a real it's a it's a real answer, and I think that's what's most important. And yeah. you know, I so yes,
1: I'll give you another real answer. It's hard. Yeah, it's it hard, is hard. You know? it, I mean, that's
0: exactly right.
1: Yeah, some of these things are challenges, and you know, you just got to set aside the time and do it, and and prioritize it. And the other thing too is you got to get the principles right. You got to understand how some of this stuff works. So, like, you know, you guys have strong financial backgrounds, and you both know there's there's the studies out there. If you're compounding at say 10% a year, and you wait seven years to get started, you lost a whole doubling period, right? And so that's the difference between being, you know, hitting age 60 or 50 or whatever you want to be financially independent at age 40, 35, whatever that date is, you'll hit there with half as much money if you drop one of your doubling periods. Half as much money is a big deal. You know that's the difference between 500,000 and a million, or the difference between a million and two million, just because you waited seven years to start. It's a game changer.
0: Yeah, and that ties in with a lot of recordings that we've done lately, where it's just just get started. Don't don't wait because you're going to miss these opportunities. Um, so going back to clarity, what what does a what does a clear vision for someone's future look like? How do they how do they know it's clear? And then how do they decide something like, well, I want to retire when I'm 45, or I want to stop working when I'm 55? How do you make those decisions and just d- just d- determine what's important to you and what you want to do?
1: Well, it's honoring your values, right? So so for most people that want financial independence at early age, which is what you just asked me here, you know, retire at 45 as an example, um, they have a high value on freedom. And what happens is you end up projecting, this is a mistake I made, right? Is you end up projecting your desire for freedom, which is a personal goal and it's an internal experience and it's an internal goal out externally into money. And when you project it out into money, then what that causes is disappointment, right? Right. Because you can't project an internal experience into an external thing without experiencing disappointment. And so to answer your question, tying this together, this probably sounds a little strange, but you've got to honor your internal values when you're working with this stuff. And so it's all driven by what's true for you. And that's why it's not cookie cutter. You can't just say like what's true for one person is true for another.
0: Yeah, and I think discovering that truth can be can be challenging because I think people go through a period of time when they're just trying to find out who they are. Um, so I don't know. Maybe a lot of experimentation and just trying different things is going to lead you to to that answer. And then there may never be a specific answer to that question. I think I think we all figure out what our values are, but how we turn those values into something um, worthwhile in the world that we're putting out there that could take a lifetime to figure out
1: oh yeah it's a process right that's your life process right your life is about becoming and so it'll be different at different stages i mean what i wanted in my 20s was freedom but i was acting out right just like i said i was projecting onto money my desire for freedom so i busted my rear i made everything a priority to achieve freedom i got it 35 and then i realized oh now i'm the same miserable cuss i was throughout my life but now i have financial freedom okay So now i got to figure out what's true freedom, right? So then I went on a journey for that and went through a lot of personal growth and a lot of work in that area and started working with personal freedom only to realize that they're really not connected. Duh, obvious to us sitting here now. But as I was going through my journey, these were the things I was learning. So it's a process. Everybody goes through that process. That's part of growing up, right? That's part of adulting.
0: Yeah, and this is really interesting. You just talked about two different journeys you went through or two different phases. W- going back, would you have, w- would you do it differently now knowing what you know? And would you have been able to do that second journey if you hadn't done the first journey first?
1: Well, no, because the first journey is what set up the second, right? I right. mean, I had to, I had to show, I had to prove to myself that financial freedom is not, you know, the end all be all of life, right? And that, You know you're aware of this harlan i mean you've been there done that right so it's not the end all be all of life that that sets you up for the next stage but you can't get to that stage until you've been through the prior stage that's the journey so you know it's it's just that was the path do i have regrets on it absolutely god i made tons of mistakes (laughs) i make mistakes all the time but i did pretty good i mean i did good enough and and the mistakes i made are are subtleties But I'm sitting here at 55. I've done fine financially. I've had a lot of fun, you know. I'm I'm healthy. You know, I didn't blow my body out, and so Mm -hmm. it's all good so far.
0: Yeah, I think uh, those mistakes. uh, They they everybody needs to make mistakes, right? What's tell me tell me about one of those mistakes? I'd love to hear one of these stories from the from the younger Todd that was kind of crazy. Oh, I think. Well, (laughs) wait a minute now. Stories we got some
2: from like three years ago. The younger Todd. kind of a wild dude
1: (laughs) so yeah you guys know me personally so okay truth is out but um, i've
2: seen you i've seen you
1: (laughs) all right my kids might watch this miranda (laughs) (laughs) um actually though um i lost track go tell, tell a story from early on okay so I think, okay, so let's go from a financial standpoint. If I did all over again, I'd buy a lot of rental real estate at a much younger age hmm. uh, with fully amortizing fixed rate loans. To me, that's a no-brainer. I don't understand why anybody from a financial standpoint. Why would you rent an apartment when you can go buy a fourplex and live in one of the units and learn landlording and start building equity?
2: Because I just, don't want to be a landlord. That's why.
1: <laughs> you may not want to, but yeah, that's, that's inflation adjusting cash flow for a lifetime. That thing's going to pay off by the time you're 30. I mean that's a that's a brilliant game you do two or three of those and that's financial independence and that's about as secure as it gets. So anyway, I'm just I'm just throwing out that would have been a smart plan. I didn't do that. I did it the hard way. I did it with paper assets. Um so I did it in a much more difficult fashion. Uh I think there's easier ways to go about it. Um some things I did right, you know I I did the hedge fund work early on. Um Ah, what else? I like the fact that I played a lot when I was younger. Didn't get married until my middle thirties, and had kids then. So I thought that worked really well for me. That wouldn't work for everybody else. Um, so I don't know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs>
2: no, no, no I, like, no, I like that though. I like, I like that. um You know, you can kind of take that look back. And- and see that um, there's some different things that you wish you had done. And I, I think we all have done that before. And I think we all have different priorities. It, it, Cause you know, when you're talking about it, you're like, Oh, why doesn't everybody be a landlord? I'm like, I don't want to be a landlord. Um, but, but I think, um, you know, part of, you know, what I, you know, I used to kind of regret the fact that I had children so young, but now my son is going to be graduated from high school and I'll be 42 when that happens. And so then I'll have lots of time to still go out there. So I, I like this. Yeah. I like this way of, you know, looking back and say, well, maybe I would have done things a little bit differently, but how can I move forward and and make the best of, you know, what I've got in front of me now? And I think that's something we need to think about too.
1: Yeah. I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't even capable of being a parent in my twenties, let alone barely capable in my thirties. Neither was I,
2: but here we are.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, so so i mean i i couldn't even imagine my brother you know he he got married straight out of college and had kids right away i mean they're grown they're in their 30s mine mine are teenagers you know and we're only two years apart i mean that that's a huge difference right so while i was playing around and having a great time in my 20s and 30s he was raising kids and he would get you know he was noticeably jealous and and now he and his wife are free to go and Life's free and easy for them. and it's casual. Whereas I'm in the throes of, you know, my kids are taking college entrance exams, and we're having to run around help them get into schools, and life's crazy, you know. So I don't know. There's no right answer, right? I mean, we can look at anything and come up with regrets, but it's it's been a pretty grand adventure. I'm I'm not complaining, but yeah, I've made mistakes. I'm not going to sugarcoat it either. If you're going to play the game and you're going to play full out, you're going to make mistakes. But that's a heck of a lot better than not playing full out. I would I would sooner go for it and screw a bunch of stuff up and at least enough comes out the back end good that it makes it worthwhile.
2: Yeah, definitely. I agree. I agree with that. <laughs> make yeah, some- so I mean, a, a good right, thing to throw get in. you out there and make some mistakes. You've got time to recover. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, I mean, as long as you pay attention to risk management, right? I, that's the thing I always throw in is, is have an underlying focus on risk management and don't really screw up big time. Right. Like take. Yeah, so rid-
0: what do you mean by that? Exactly.
1: Well, it came, it comes from my investing background. Okay. So you guys know, like I'm a hardcore investing nut, right? That's where, and mm-hmm. so what happens is when you really deep dive into something, you find truth, small life in it. Right. And so risk management is a principle. So like, as I teach investing, your goal is to make higher. So here you can see it in the picture, higher highs and higher lows. Right. But it's never a straight line. Right. You know, you have setbacks and then you recover, you get higher highs, higher lows. And that's the goal in investing. And that's created by having good risk management. If you have bad risk management, what'll happen is you'll go up and then you'll zigzag down hard and maybe you'll go up a little, then you come down a little, then up, and then you'll zigzag down hard and you'll have these setbacks. And that's, that's what an equity line looks like when it's poorly risk managed. Well, the same concept applies to your life, right? If you make smart risk management decisions while always playing for the aggressive win, then over time you compound and you build a better and better life and you constantly grow upward. Um, But if you take really stupid decisions, so like I'm an extreme skier, right? I go helicopter skiing and uh, I was in the Jackson hole ski uh, steep and deep ski camp, you know, where we ski collars and stuff. So like I do all this kind of stuff and I do extreme ventures, hiking and backpacking and all this stuff, but it's always risk managed. It's always risk managed. So like, if you take me out somewhere, I'll go with these guys and they'll be like, they'll drop into a, a run called Hourglass where it funnels down in this narrow little chute, and it's barely, you have to pretty much shoot through with your skis straight down and then you pop back out and you can do normal skiing. I won't do it because what'll happen is if you blow out of your skis above, it's basically death because you'll get what you call it slide for life and skiing on a steep hill where you just accelerate down the hill, sliding really hard and then you'll hit the rocks and you'll bash, you'll bash yourself, right? And so it's not worth the risk. If I don't have a clean run out on a run, if I blow out of my skis or make a mistake, I won't ski it. It's not a question of steep running, It's a question of just being smart, right? Like I don't need to risk death to go ski, ski a steep hill. That's a stupid risk, you know? And same thing, like if we're out in a town, we're traveling somewhere and, you know, let's say that we're stuck somewhere and it's late at night and that part of town is not that great. I'll pull out the, I'll pull out and pay for a, a ride and a cab mm. you know and and get somebody to call a cab and do it safe. I'm not going to go walk the streets in an area I don't know late at night that's not good so it's just I don't know I mean I'm, I'm making it up on the fly but I'm trying to explain this idea you can go take risks you can go have adventures but be smart in your risk management so you get higher highs and higher lows you know I know guys my age that their knees are blown out because of one stupid mistake they, don't, they can't go have any fun now.
0: Right. Yeah, no, um, it's all about making smart decisions. And I think that's, that's fantastic.
2: So, so what can you do if, I mean, we talk about, you know, the risk management angle of it or, or whatever, but what can you do if you, you make a major (laughs) mistake? Like, how do you move forward from that? And how do you recover from that? And I, the nice thing about being younger is that you have a little more time to recover. So if you have made a mistake, you can kind of, um, get over it at some point. But how do you move forward from that? How, what are some of the steps that you take to recover from that major mistake that you might make?
1: Well, the first one is just accepting that you screwed up, right? So just going, I screwed that one up. Okay. So this is where I'm at today. You assess where you're at today. You assess where you're going to go. You build your plan and you move forward. I mean, it's no different than somebody who's 20-year-old didn't make a mistake. They're still going to do the same thing. You're going to assess your goal, where you want to go. You're going to design your plan to get there based on sound principles, and you're going to begin taking action on that plan. It's no different if you blow it. The key point is just your recovery time. Successful people make lots of mistakes, but successful people have shorter recovery times, Mm -hmm. right? When you blow it, you wash out, and then you come back quicker. Coming back quicker is a a key hallmark. So does it take practice?
2: I was just going to say, does it take practice? Do you have to screw up a lot to get to the point where you can recover faster? (laughs) I
1: I guess so. I'm pretty experienced at both. (laughs) You know, I mean, i I made lots of mistakes. But again, if, if you're managing risk, you know, if you're careful, risk management happens on the front end. You know, like I was explaining, like the ski run example, right? The decisions made at the top of the run. Every pilot will tell you the same thing, Right. The decision in pilots, you know, there's decisions you make that are not recoverable. That are not recoverable if you go down a certain path. And so the prevention is up front in the detail and the decisions that you get yourself into. And it's the same thing in skiing. It's the same thing in investing. It's the same thing in life. And so you, you've got to take risk, but you got to take intelligent risk. And what you want to do is you want to play for the big win, right? So this goes down into the, the math of how wealth is compounded. It's the math of how you compound your life too. Right, expectancy mathematics. And so you're looking at the idea of playing for the big win and always trying to control the losses so they're small. And so when you do that, what happens is you get that rising equity curve.
0: Yes. So, so let's talk about the big win. What, what does that mean in terms of investing, for example? What is a big win?
1: Large return. Okay.
0: Like what's, what's a large return? Is it? Are we talking like 15%, 8%? What? What is something that someone can choose yes as- It depends on the asset class,
1: Okay. right? So in paper assets, it's pretty well, there's mathematical limits to the return on investment, right? So depending on the strategy, you know, it's well documented what the mathematical limits to return are on uh, passive index paper asset investing, right? So that's a function of the valuation at the beginning of the holding period for 10 to 15 year returns. Um, for different strategies where you're not passive. You can start pushing into the middle teens. It's pretty much a a wall though. You can't really get much past middle teens for active strategies. Um, and you'll see that documented. If you look at like hedge fund results, you look at active management results, it's pretty much a wall. Um, and that has to do, there's, there's reasons why that exists. When you go into other asset classes, like uh, business entrepreneurship or real estate, there are no mathematical limits. And that's because you bring the principles of leverage. Like in paper assets, the only way you can apply leverage is with, um, with you know, financial leverage, right? Like you borrow money and invest more assets. But that, that, I'm not an advocate of that. Whereas in other asset classes like real estate and business entrepreneurship, there's all kinds of forms of leverage that don't cut both ways. Like financial leverage cuts both ways. It's the only form of leverage that cuts both ways. But... In uh, the other asset classes, you can use other forms of leverage. It can actually reduce risk, and they only cut one way. They only improve the results. So anyway, there's no mathematical limits to return. I mean, you could have, you know, like I did a real estate deal that was literally, it was unlimited, right? Because I had no money in the deal. So it was all just created money out of thin air. Um, So that's an example where there's no limit on the return.
0: So, if we have someone who says looking to, uh, er, they're looking t- for early retirement, they're going to have to, and, and if they don't have the assets to provide a safe retirement now, they have to come up with a way to do that. And a good way to do that is to go for those big wins. And a lot of that sounds, a lot of what you're saying sounds like the best options for that are going to be real estate or entrepreneurship.
1: Yeah. So all of this is governed by math, right? And so if you want to use, if you want to retire early, which is the setup for your question, you can use paper assets work in two ways for building financial independence, right? You can either use a lot of time and compound over a long period of time. And basically it creates old age financial independence after a lifetime of earning and saving, or you can go the extreme frugality route, which means that you require fewer assets and you're not working for the, you're, you're working within the limits of the return. So, so for paper assets, conventional diversified portfolio, you're either looking at extreme frugality or you're looking at a lot of time, a lifetime of compounding. Okay, so those are the rules for that game. If you want to achieve financial independence earlier, but you're not willing to go the extreme frugality route, then you're really looking at, and by extreme frugality, I'm saying you have a high savings rate as a percent of your income, right? Right. That's really the math. So so like for me anyway, like I did a paper assets, but I had a really high income. And so I wasn't extreme frugality. I wouldn't have been deemed extreme frugality. But in the context of my income, it was deemed extreme frugality because I was saving 70, 80%. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the other asset classes, they don't have the mathematical limits to grow. So then that's where you bring in those. So like for yourself, I don't know, Harlan, if you talk about your own situation, but yours was really business entrepreneurship, right? right? Is how you did yeah. yours. And so, and that had basically unlimited growth because you didn't fund capital into it. It was always self-funding, and it always compounded on its own, and it was revenue positive. So that would be another strategy. You did that in just a period of a few short years, and that was using technology leverage, systems leverage, and all kinds of other things. You know, and then real estate's the same way. You can do that too. Um, it's kind of halfway between paper assets and business entrepreneurship in terms of its uh, compound return potential. But it's also more reliable. The unique thing about real estate is it's extremely reliable.
0: So maybe the question then is, how, how does someone who has no experience in real estate get started in real estate so that they can use the cash flow and the, uh, the appreciation over time to enhance their lifestyle?
1: Um, well, you'd start learning. I mean, usually the way I start into something new is I start reading every book I can on it and just wrap my head around it. Uh, books are your cheapest form of knowledge. Um, you're getting the best expertise from, from people who've spent months assimilating in, into this book and they're gifting it to you all for a couple bucks. There's no better value in education than books, you know, short of your podcast, of course, right? And so you've got that and then, so wrap your head around it and then from there develop your plan. And then because of the risk management principle, you'd probably start small. You know, so in your real estate example, you do start with a couple single family homes, you'd start with a fourplex or something, wrap your head around a little, and then you and then you just compound from there. And as you get more experience and you become more savvy, you build your network of contacts, you learn how to find deal flow, you learn how to find the down payments, get investor money, then you can ramp it up from there. But you have to start small and you have to build up and build your knowledge base.
2: Yeah. And one of the things, you know, we, we talked about this too with Mindy Jensen from Bigger Pockets when she was on was, you know, the, the, with the real estate starting with a fourplex, like you mentioned, and using the FHA loan with the low down payment, you can, you can really start that uh, with a relatively small amount of capital, um, and, and get going. And, you know, like you said, you live in one of the unit and out the other three, and you know, that's kind of how you can start. Um, you know, and, and, um, well, being a landlord doesn't really, appeal to me, you know, you guys have talked about, um, you know, you, you did yours, you built yours up through investing and Harlan built his up through entrepreneurship. Um, and even though I don't really have like financial independence from the, the standpoint of, I don't have to work anymore. Um, <laughs> I've kind of built a lifestyle that I enjoy. Um, and that I get mm-hmm. to go, I get to travel. Um, I pretty much take, I, I pretty much end up going somewhere once a month. Um, and uh, I get to do that because you know i've I've picked a skill set and uh, and an industry that allows me to work from anywhere. and then your kids are grown. almost, almost. He's, he's 14. He's not quite grown yet, but you know, but it, but it allows me to kind of work from anywhere and kind of at least, um, if I'm not, you know, living off of my stored assets, I do get to at least kind of have that flexibility. And I do get to travel a lot and and kind of live a lifestyle I enjoy, um, while still, you know, putting aside money for the future.
1: Yeah. So what I, I call that, um, the new retirement, right. (laughs) You can call it life, uh, lifestyle business. There's a lot of different names that it could yeah. go under, but the idea is that you build your base finances, right? You get your home, uh, car, you get your, you get your debt paid off, you you build a base of assets. You don't have to make that much money at that point. And so then you focus on fulfillment. What kind of work is fulfilling? What kind of lifestyle do you want to structure that's fulfilling Rather than trying to, you know, amass this big pile of assets so you never make another dime again like traditional retirement is designed to be, um, rather than try to hurdle that mountain, clear that mountain, you make the mountain much smaller just so you have the freedom, and then you go in and you create other things. Because in the end, you know, fulfilling life isn't about sitting on a beach in a hammock with an umbrella drink. That's, you know, that's not fulfillment for most people. Um, and you can look at Harlan and I as a great example. You know, it's like we still do stuff. We we have passions, we have things we're interested in, and that's way more fulfilling than just sitting around doing nothing and joining the pro-leisure circuit. So anyway, it, there's all different forms that you can wrap your head around this thing. You don't have to follow the traditional rules at all, and I think we're all an example of that sitting on this recording right now.
0: Yeah, I, I agree completely, although I do find that sometimes there is time that I'm sitting around not doing anything, and I feel that I should be doing something whenever that happens.
2: But why? you're not on a beach with an umbrella drink. See, that's the problem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll have to try that sometime.
1: Yeah, but then the question would <laughs> be, why do you feel beach? like you
0: have to be doing something? I, I like doing things. That's, that's part of the problem. I like being busy. I like the projects I'm working on. And I, I get a lot of fulfillment out of it. Um, but at the same time, I also get pretty tired doing it. So Yeah.
2: <clears throat> you, you need a bacon nap time every day. <laughs> and <laughs> then you'll feel better. Yeah, if, you, if you put it on your schedule, if you put do nothing on your schedule, then at least you're checking something
0: off your to-do list. Yeah, yeah, that would never be allowed. Uh, so, <laughs> my, my 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 question, and I think this is the key for a lot of people. It's it's you know getting to, getting to clarity is important, and I think. I, th- I think there's different levels of clarity. I think people can get started, even, even if they don't have a clear picture of everything they want in life. But getting started, just, just figuring out what that plan is and then making the first step. Um, th- do you... I, it? And Todd, I know you like making those plans, and people come to you because perhaps they don't like they they don't like making plans, and then the two of you can work together, one making the plans, one doing the work, and getting it done what What can people do if they don't go to a coach to kind of get that planning stage complete? I mean, I'm making it up on the fly here i that's okay
1: yeah, I mean, the way I always do it is I always start with books and I wrap my head around whatever. The area of expertise is that i'm diving into so if i'm trying to figure out life planning i'd probably just dig in and start reading about it and figuring it out and taking notes and mapping it out and start to figure it out um, i will say that that's a long road to it you know it's for people like me that are junkies about this stuff and want to analyze every little angle of something um, but that's not for everybody Another, another path is to fumble forward, but ultimately you've got to, I don't have an answer for you, Harlan. I, <laughs> I don't really have an answer for it. I To me, some people are really bent on planning and that's a natural skill form and other people, they fumble with it. You know, I've worked with clients where they're just like, wow, this is amazing. How do you do that? I'm like, "Well, I don't know. I just, that's what I do. Right. And they just cannot wrap their head around it. They would be blind without that help. And so you ask, how do you do it if you don't have that help? For some people, they may not be able to. They may need help.
0: Yeah, it seems like getting help in some form is is probably the most crucial step for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I think the crucial step is just getting clear on these trade-offs around, you know, long-term, short-term, and the impact of your daily habits, your daily attitudes, what you do each day. Like, you know, like, let's take what the conversation we just dropped earlier about how, like, you know, you're a doer right? You don't hang out, right? But you've been rewarded for it. You've been doing this your whole life. And that's where your rewards come from. And it's a pattern that you build into your life and your life rewards you for it. And so you repeat it over and over again. And that's that's led you to the success you've had. And that will lead you to future success. These are, these are habits and attitudes that create success. Other people have very different habits and attitudes. They won't relate to what you just said, and that will lead them in a very different path. And so I mean, all this stuff fits together as a puzzle. You have to put the pieces together. That's that's how how life works.
0: Yeah, that's 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 great. I mean, I I love this. I I you know just everything you're saying is very inspirational to me too. I mean, just being able to talk to you about this stuff is very interesting. Yeah, and uh, why don't we uh, why don't we take this as a good point to wrap it up? But Todd, could you just tell us again exactly how people can find you and your latest books and all of that?
1: So, the site is financialmentor.com. Um, so, that's one word financial mentor, but two words, one word. I don't know how you say it. Uh, financialmentor.com. And, you know, there, I, I've got one of the largest collections of financial calculators on the internet. And the reason I did that is because, as, I, as I've alluded to here, a lot of the math is wealth is math, finance is math. And that's what governs it. But a lot of people don't like math. And so, I've given away these calculators. They're all free. So, you can. Uh, It's all done for you and I have like a thousand free printed pages of free content so you get a ton of education for free and then for people that want to subscribe they want to take it a cut deeper I give away a free book 18 essential lessons of a self made millionaire and I have a free course 52 weeks to financial freedom and uh, no you won't get rich quick but it maps out the process it gives you the framework in 52 weeks about the journey that you'll travel through and the essential skills and pieces you need and so it's a great overview of the process and all that's for free on on the site financialmentor.com
0: yeah. And I, I know that having a framework to anything you want to do in life is just going to help you in the long run. So, so thank you for sharing that, Todd, and sh- for sharing your stories and uh, join us again um, uh, next week where we do these interviews all the time. So uh, adulting.tv slash iTunes. If you have any questions, adulting.tv slash ask. And of course, uh, find us on YouTube as well. Todd, thank you so much for being here.
1: Hey, thanks for having on the show. Good talking to you guys.
0: All right, and we'll see you soon. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv.